everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back. Today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together, we try to figure out what's worth talking about, often failing, but once in a while succeeding. <laughs> Bring you guys a podcast worth chewing into. How That's you doing fine. today, Liz? I'm doing good. We're recording a little early today because you have exciting plans. Oh, yes. <laughs> Go ahead and hang out with some coworkers. Good times. Very, Presum- very good times. Presumably. <laughs> I am not doing that. I'm going to do some shenanigans with beer. I'm trying to, my, uh, I told you I was making beer. I also made a cider. Ooh. And I'm trying to get my, uh, I haven't used my kegerator since COVID times. Back when I had time to do stuff during the day. Mm. I say as, as I spend a couple hours recording a podcast on a Tuesday. But still. Um, okay, you but, know. It, but it's leaking out of one of the posts. So I have to figure out why my keg is not. That's annoying. Which is annoying because I have five gallons of really crisp apple cider just sitting there waiting to be deliciousized. Deliciousized. I like it. And I cannot drink it. But... um. Well, I could, but it would spew everywhere as I'm pouring the glass. That sounds messy. Ask me if I've done that at least twice so far. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have, and I've cleaned up the mess, but I'd like to fix it. So that's my goal for the day, is not to go have fun times with fun people, but to have fun times with fun drink. Hey, that works. Fix the old kegaruski. Um, Beyond that, life is pretty darn good. Just getting through it. Anything exciting going on in your world? Not really. Same old, same old. Dead people all over the place. They still have dead people up there, huh? Yeah. It's a constant, constant. uh, It's job security, let me tell (laughs) you. There are days I just wish it wasn't so secure. (laughs) The human condition does help you out on that. Yes. All right. All right. How about we get into this here? I will uh, give us the lay of the land and you can tell us what's happening in the future. So Harry's been working on a porn set. Arturo Genosa is the customer who believes that someone is sending an evil eye or Malocchio or entropy curse. They're all the same thing at him. And it's been killing the women around him, but it hasn't been affecting him. So Harry thinks it's actually directed at those women. We're not sure why yet. We also know that there's some white court intrigue abound, abounding, abounding around. As, as per usual. A problem, exactly. So we have Thomas Wraith, as well as his sister's Lara, who doubles as a porn star in the film that we're uh, shooting, and Inari. An in the erotic, erotic cinema. <laughs> there you go. Erotic features. Um, and Inari, his younger sister, who's just turned 18 and is also working on set, but she is a PA, a PA. She's an assistant to the assistant, um, regional manager. And we, what just happened was Harry saw Thomas milling about. And for some reason, we don't really know why Thomas booked it. And so Harry chased after him. 
He caught up to him and was threatening him and trying to figure out what's going on when Laura Wraith also caught up to them. And she was in no uh, mood to talk a whole lot about what was going on. And she shot Harry. I believe she shot Thomas as well. And then, to top it off, we had a visit from Mavra's goons, the Black Court Vampires. Blampires, as we sometimes call them. And so, um, after a confrontation, we had a great little uh, trick with a turkey smashing oh my God. Black Court Vampire. Inari has a broken arm, and she also is confused because she is not clued in to the universe. Thomas has a sucking wound in his chest and mm-hmm. may or may not be dying here. And Lara is flustered and they've decided they're going to join forces. They have a 24 hour truce and they decide to transform and roll out and get to safety as far away from the black court as possible. And that leads us right into chapter 18. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so our plucky hero is going to get his ride and he's one of the things he contemplates as he's going that he, the, the one-eared vampire has some sort of method of communicating with Mavra. Uh, and because of that, they need to get the hell out of there. Even if he just needs to call her up because she knows where they are. We get a little bit of a background from Harry's perspective about the black court. She's been, and Mavra has been killing for centuries. The near extermination of the Black Court had meant that only the smartest, strongest, and most deadly of its members had survived. One ear was dangerous enough, but if Mavra had caught us in the open, she would take us apart. So Harry pops into the building to get uh, the dog, the no-named dog, and his keys. He gets back to the to the to the crew. Lara is carrying Thomas, and Inara has her arm in a sling created by Lara's robe. Lara says that Thomas is alive for now. He's breathing, but he's emptied his reserves. He'll need to refresh them. You mean he needs to feed on someone. Her eyes slid aside to Inari, but the girl had her hands full, simply staying vertical through the pain, and probably wouldn't have heard if heard the space shuttle lifting off. Yes, deeply. So we all know that that means he's got to suck the life out of someone through energy transfer. And they go back and forth about where they should go. Lara says, you know, Mavra knows where he lives. She read the court's defensive assessment of his home. And that's a little scary. Someone's completely assessed his apartment. But she also says, Thomas will be dead within the hour if he doesn't feed. And Mavra knows where he lives. So somebody's could be wait- somebody could be waiting there for them. So Lara ends up directing him to the Chateau Race in Chicago. It is the most expensive looking and elaborate area as Harry has ever seen. The house we finally pulled up to had multiple wings, multiple stories, and a couple of faux castle turrets. It had cost someone eight digits and could have doubled as the headquarters of the villain in the James Bond movie. (laughs) Great visual on that one. So they they drove through uh, Little Sherwood and uh, Lara says to Harry, Dresden, You and my brother have nothing to fear from me this night. I will respect our truce and extend guest rights to you while you are in my family's home, and I do so swear it. 
One advantage to dealing with supernatural foes was that the code of the honor of the old world was accepted and expected when we negotiated with one another. A sworn oath and the obligations of hospitality were more binding in those circles than the threat of physical force. What Lara had offered me meant that not only would she not attempt to do me harm, she would be obligated to protect me should anyone else attempt to do so. If she failed in her duties as host, it would represent a major loss of face, should word of it get around. But from what I'd gathered, Laura wasn't the one making all the calls in the Wraith household. If someone up the family food chain, for example, Daddy Wraith, thought he could get away with it without word leaking out, he might decide to subtract me from the old equation of life. It was a real risk, and I didn't want to take it. The last, vamp- the last vampire who had offered me the hospitality of her home Bianca had drugged me, nearly killed me, manipulated me into starting a war, and tried to feed me to her most recent vampire recruit, my former lover Susan. There's no reason to think that Lara was incapable of the same treachery. This kind of brought to my attention when I was reading it that while there are the rules of hospitality, the laws of hospitality, there's always a way around it, just like Bianca did. So he's, I think he's right to be unsure of this. Cautious. Yeah, it's a lot like we've we've seen with fairies and basically all the supernatural kind of have the same rules and regulations where it's very much letter of the law mm-hmm. and there's always going to be loopholes if you aren't super careful of them and it's just an interesting quirk of supernatural law yeah and we've seen with the way harry breaks faith with say with leah he's done it a couple times is just lying and deceit, right? Whereas certainly it's deceitful the way the fairies do it and the way the vampires have done it in the past, but it's always, there's a sheen of deniability and it's that the the barest level of cover, but it's because it's the letter of the law, there is no spirit to it, which is um, an important fact that comes up time and again in in this series. Yeah. We've already seen it on multiple occasions and and it's, Mm -hmm. it's really like a plausible deniability thing. Exactly. Okay. I couldn't afford to extend Lara much trust if I wanted to avoid a rerun of the Harry nearly dies because of his stupid chivalry show. Which I love that. Um, So Harry's basically, he tells himself, look, if shit goes goes south, I'm going to blast through a wall. It wouldn't be the subtlest escape in the world, but I was pretty sure the race could afford to repair the damages. I wondered if vampires have any trouble getting homeowners insurance. (laughs) But I love, but that, those are the moments What we talked about this last week about the coexistence of the supernatural in our reality. And I think that's awesome. Like something so subtle and stupid as homeowners insurance is fantastic. Well, and he mentions it later that, um, it's the first, I think the first time we've actually gotten confirmation on the timeline of a wizard's life where he says, um, it's a couple chapters from now, but yeah, where he lives up now, but they, yeah. living a little bit more than three centuries isn't unheard of. So it, it does bring up a lot of questions about the mundane stuff, like insurance, like yeah, social security numbers and stuff. Like how, how you know, the government obviously doesn't think you live for 300 years. So how do yeah. you adjust? You know, Ebenezer lives on a farm we've seen. Um, you know, who else have we, we've met? We met Listens to Wind, Martha Liberty. You know, we, we've, we've met a, a fair few at this point. And they have to find a way to either stay off the grid or to re-up their grid status every few years, right? Which is just an interesting 
thought experiment that, again, the things you don't really think about usually in fantasy is how do these vampires, obviously they have lots of money because they've been alive a long time, but how do they exist within a system that writes everything down and keeps track mm-hmm. of people? You know, we, uh, me and my sister would, you know, usually when we're buying things for parties or for the house or something, we would use our dad's d- debit card. <laughs> But it was like a joke. She would come to town and be the, the, the changing of the card. <laughs> but he couldn't use it. He was blind. You know, we were buying stuff for him regularly, right? Uh, we were taking care of him. But when he died, the card shut off like within days. We didn't announce it to anybody, but the bank just figured it out, right? So like there, <laughs> there's a, a whole world of interconnected data that they have to find a way to navigate. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about and wonder about within this universe. And, you know, yeah. it starts with him saying, you know, the homos insurance thing, but that's a real concern. Like you, you need to have these things in life. You, you need to be connected in some fashion or be like a, a weird hermit off the grid. Right. And the, these guys clearly aren't that because they work in industry and it's just an interesting, uh, thought that again we bring this up all the time i'm sure you guys are tired of hearing me get like <laughs> wax about this but it's just i get so excited about the little, the little minutiae that you don't How think about in a lot of these yeah. stories exactly but i love also the other thing that's not necessarily related to this but we did mention bianca in this actually just in this section that we that we read this week um there's a lot of throwbacks Mm-hmm. A lot of references um, for sure. A lot of references to the old books. And I just, I'm continuing to watch um, Only Murders in the Building. And in season two. Ooh, new uh, season tonight. Very oh, excited. Tonight. Oh my gosh. I wanted to get through season two so I could catch up, watch season three. But uh-huh. um, what's his face? Martin Short on multiple occasions says, throw back. And everybody looks at him like he's crazy. <laughs> that, that totally made me think of it this week. I was watching that yesterday and I was like, Oh my God, this is all throwbacks. It's, I love it. I think That's it's awesome. fantastic. I love a good throwback. Uh, but what it does is it, it's your create, he, uh, Butcher is creating a stronger mesh of the world because all of these things that happen in the books, so often in series, you don't always get references to things that have happened in the past. And so I love it that like, well, this happened and this is like, this is our reality. And I really, really, really like that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it came up several times in this little chunk, which I loved. Uh, okay, so they get Inari and Thomas out of the vehicle, and the the notchered puppy is barking and snarling at Lara in squeaky fury, which I love that because that little puppy bark is just so cute. Um, and Lara jerks her hand back and is like, "What's with your? What's wrong with your animal? What's wrong with your face?" And he, he, I keep telling everyone he's not mine. Bullshit. This is like our dad saying he doesn't like animals and then having his best friend be a dog. (laughs) Just saying. So while they're standing on the porch of the gigantic mansion, another vehicle drives up. And it's a limo and a trailing vehicle. And it just happens to be Daddy Wraith. And Lara is none too happy about his arrival. And the description of him is fantastic. He's a, he was better looking than Thomas, 
which I mean, he Harry always describes Thomas as this amazing, amazing looking man, and he's better looking than Thomas. So obviously, we know where Thomas gets it from. But Lara is not happy, and Lara slips into a veil, a neutral mask, and she keeps her ha- her eyes down even when she gives him a kiss on the cheek. It's very telling about Lara, and she looks at Harry with an expression of warning. And when Harry finds out it's Daddy Wraith, and his response is, oh, crap. <laughs> so Lord Wraith seems to be a pretty standard dad over the first couple paragraphs here, right? He um, references Lara wearing her porn getup, saying that's quite a novel ensemble you're wearing. And then he goes and checks on Inari, who says, you know, he asks her what happened. And she says, we were mugged. Or something. I think it must have been a gang. That makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> of course it does, dearest. And again, you know, he, he gets on Lara for letting something happen to his her baby sister, right? Like, this is just pretty standard dad stuff at this point, which is interesting. Because we know, at least I can assume, this isn't generally the case. But I really like, I really like this version of him. Because there is some humanity in these monsters, right? Um, and yeah, he, I, th- I think he does genuinely care, you know, in a gross way that we find out later yeah, he's yeah. abusive and disgusting and all that. But I, I think he does have some level of care for Inari in this scenario. Because she's still useful to him. Oh, sure. Uh, again, I'm not saying he's a good dude. You can be human and not a good dude. Yes. <laughs> That's a pretty standard experience, actually, for most of them. Uh, <laughs> think of how much of a dick the average human is. Half of them are worse than that. To paraphrase Mr. Carlin, we learned that there's a doctor in the house that Lara mentioned she keeps on retainer. She came with him from California, or rather the doctor came with her from California. So you can only imagine their relationship. Yeah. Probably just really good buddies like most people are with succubuses. Which they don't really mention it, but again, I like that it's just kind of thrown in there and you're he trusts the audience to figure out that this is probably basically a, Oh, what do you call it? Mind fuck. Yeah. Um, thrall is what I was kind of yeah. thinking of. But yeah. Same idea. Right. Where he's completely under her spell. And that's mine, why he mine sounds so much more professional. Here's <laughs> the technical term. Exactly. And we see here, I, I started to mention it on last week's pod, but I actually, told Lissy that I was going to delete it and, and add it to this week because we've seen in the past, Harry is really good with a quip and all that. And it's never really been clear if he was doing it just to kind of fake it till you make it. But I think this is really the, the kind of some of the first evidence we have that he really isn't. It's a, it's a mask that he puts on, right? He's really terrified here. And he's not able to really communicate well. I know he's never able to communicate well, but this is a situation where he's got this terrifying creature in front of him. He's surrounded by monsters and he genuinely cares for Thomas, despite Mm -hmm. him claiming not to, and they're not friends and stuff like that. He does care for him. You can tell. Yeah. He put himself in this awful situation to try to help him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he says yelling basically at the white King, but saying both of you shut your mouth and help them. And it's like, who the fuck are you? He says, both of you shut your mouth and help them, please. (laughs) And they say, I can't be diplomatic. 
I love it. But I just think it's interesting to see. No, there's no quipping. There's no jokes. It there no. isn't. It's he just is scared. But yeah, I, I, again, I don't really have a point. I just thought it was worth noting. Yeah, uh, I don't. Well, I don't actually, have a, I have a point about that. Go ahead. When it's him in danger, he quips. When it's others in dangers, he's dead serious. Okay, I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. So. No, oh, very, very nice, very nice uh, analysis. That's it, kind of like that was my takeaway from that because he is so quippy when he. I mean, his life is hanging by a thread, and he's so quippy when he, it's him. But anytime anyone else is in danger, he is dead serious. People he cares about. No, that's great. It's just kind of that's an interesting. Um, no, absolutely accurate. Again, that one of those where it's like feel dumb for not catching (laughs) that's really good stuff so obviously lord wraith does not appreciate being told what to do so he gestures to his bodyguard kens and barbies which are two sets of twin bodyguards and they draw their guns in precise unison which suggests that either they're supernatural or there's some sort of um control over them by Wraith as well, right? Because human beings don't move in perfect unison. And so Lara tells him he can't shoot him. And he again, someone telling him what to do, he gets mad and says, can't. She said they might hit Thomas, which is weird that she lies. But I think that's just instinct to like. Yeah. Because it's it's less about saving Harry. It's more about keeping face. Yeah, but also like they're it is important that he knows that they have a truce, right? They're, they're bound right now by yeah. this, this agreement. And so it's weird that she lot her first instinct is to lie. I just, that I do think is worth noting because it, it really shows that she has issues with her father, obviously monster fathers, you're de- de- generally going to have issues with, right? Yeah. But when there's going to be some daddy issues, but when the truth is actually more useful but you default to lying because you're so used to hiding things and being closed off from him. Yeah. Right. But when she tells the truth, he actually stops, (laughs) but she, her first instinct is to lie. I just, that I found interesting. And actually, you know, there's actually a point to that as well, but she does tell them that they have a 24 hour truce. So he supposes it would be churlish to ignore my debt to you. Young man, I will honor the truce and respect my daughter's invitation and hospitality. Thank you for your assistance. And then again, Harry is an idiot. Uh, like it should be so easy to phrase this in any other way, but he says, whatever. Would you both shut your mouths and help them now? Pretty please with sugar on top. Uh, I don't love that three beat there because there's just, I know Harry has problems, but that's not realistic to me. In this scenario, you would change your phrasing. Mm-hmm. I feel. Personally, maybe I'm more well-adjusted than Harry. That can't be true. Um, I mean, both has to be true and can't be true based on what I know about myself and Harry, but also, right. Am I, is that nitpicking? I I didn't, it didn't stand out to me. Okay. You know, because he does, he, he's never, he never takes anything seriously. You know, he always has something snarky to say. And. This is just, even when he's dead serious, 
he makes snarky comments. And this is just his snarky comment. Fair enough. We get, we get some insight here into Harry's awareness of his surroundings. And the, he, he is really good at paying attention to the little things. So as Lord Wraith moves away, he tells Lara, nice guy. And I was worried about meeting him. <laughs> and Lara says, I know he was really quite pleasant, except for the eyes. You saw that. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. So she approved of how he can see the little things. Cause like I said, he, he's acting in a fashion. That's not all that dissimilar from an average dad. When you know, your one daughter comes home in lingerie covered in blood. The other one comes home busted up and your son is in the back of the car bleeding out. Right. It's probably not a normal reaction, but it's normal adjacent the way he seems to care about the children. and And so it would be easy to miss the underlying menace, I think. And we, like I said, we notice it just because we know who he is. But Harry can tell because his eyes never showed any of the emotion. And I like that Lara appreciates that, which is, we've seen this in the past, really, really skilled and powerful monsters respect skill and power. And that's certainly, Harry showed some skill. You know, that's what I do. And you can tell that she appreciates that. The other thing that this reminded me of Mm -hmm. is like a mob boss. It's very mafioso. Okay. You know, where everybody's afraid of this guy. Yeah, no, certainly. You know, and that's one of the, the, you know, the sharp dressed bodyguards that, you know, you can tell are packing where everybody is afraid of him. It's, it was very, that was very much like it's this, he's like the mafioso sort of type mm-hmm. where is that, this isn't a formal occasion, you know, where she says, uh, my Lord. And this isn't a formal occasion where he's forcing her to admit admit who he is and and the, mm-hmm. the awkward kiss on the cheek because that is what is expected. Just very kind of again grounding it in the real world with that sort of um, portrayal, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. It's also interesting how he knew Harry on sight. Yeah. How well you you touched on it in the last chapter, right? The White Court's assessment of his home. Yes. So he knows Harry by sight. Lara knows exactly where Harry lives. Mm-hmm. He's part of a bigger world than even he sometimes realizes. Yeah. And it's it's good to be reminded sometimes that you you, you can't fuck around because you're gonna find out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and that's Harry's fucked around and found out on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is the perfect example of that. So, but so, and that's one of the features of this series that we've mm-hmm. seen it a little bit, how, you know, the phrasing that is kind of used in the fandom is leveling up. And that's actually not just in this series, but basically any long book series, long comic series, long, anything, right. Any long series for things to keep mattering, you kind of have to level up the mm-hmm. stakes and the scale of the conflict. And either you get, a hero smushed all the time or the hero levels up a commensurate amount. Right. And we've seen that with Harry where he's slowly, you know, it used to a couple spells used to knock him on his butt. 
now he can last a little bit longer. And now he has more tools and more, more friends and more accoutrement and stuff. And so he Mm -hmm. continues to level up and the world gets bigger and bigger as we get through this series. Um, and it's just an interesting kind of start to seeing that grow as we get through this novel here. Well, in, in normal storytelling, that's called raising the stakes because there's, he has more power, but there's more people involved. The world is more dangerous. The stakes are constantly rising. I think in this storytelling, it's also called raising the stakes, but your brother couldn't think of the word. Oh, no. Well, because leveling up, I, I'd read leveling up. Someone had well, said. To, well, leveling uh, up is more about Harry himself. He yes. levels up as the stakes raise. Yeah. He has to level up to deal with the bigger stakes. And it's it's also. No one said I was a wordsmith. OK, <laughs> but the the raising of the stakes is also. We see it in in this in the, the six novels, five and a half novels that we've gone through. We've seen it in the big bads get worse. There, the powers that he has are stronger, but mo- he has more personal involvement as well. So you've got these three levels: you've got world, you've got self, and then you've got personal interaction. All three of those stakes are constantly increasing, and that is. It adds to the the tension, but it's not done in a way where we're jumping off a cliff. It's really cool how how Butcher has done it, where he's just gradually building these these. It's the building blocks. It's the little bricks, uh-huh, absolutely, to, to create the wall, and it's fantastic. I really enjoy how he develops the world. How and, and again, just something as simple as talking about homeowners insurance. It's creating the world within hours and leveling that world up every, every step. And Harry has to, has to level up in order to match that. And he's, he's uh, stepping up to the challenge. Mm -hmm. He truly is. I I can nerd out about all of the, the storytelling features in this. It's fantastic. I love it. Come for the clever word using things that I do. Stay for the <laughs> nerd deep dives that Lissy does. Um, I use words good. <laughs> Me flail English. That's impossible. So we head inside and we learn a little bit more about white court vampires where, you know, she says the, the bullets aren't going to kill him, but the hunger capital T capital H may finish him. So the hunger is basically what Laura refers to as the angel of our darker natures, but it's basically the demon, you know, think the demon inside Buffy versus vampires. That's mm-hmm. what there is. It is something separate from, from, but connected to their personality. And as but it's not an endless font, just like we learned with um, Susan and whoever the boring guy was um, Martin, that Martin there. It's not an Marvin, it's not a, as he calls it, um, right? But it's not an endless font of energy and power. Sure, and it's obviously different but similar. And you know, again, like we've talked about, it, mm-hmm. it caps the power level. Um, but for I now. like that. I like that that there's a there's a control method. I guess you could say that it, that they're not superheroes. They just they have a limit to their power. I think it's great. Yeah, and it's it almost feels lazy how similar Susan and her power was described compared to Thomas and the Hunger. 
Um, I say almost because I don't really think it is because they are different enough, but it is very, very similar mm-hmm. in that you have a well and when you lose it, you lose control and that, you know, the darker angel of your nature takes over. And that's kind of where Thomas is right now. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the past when their eyes get all sil- when their eyes get all silvery, mm-hmm. you know, they're letting the hunger out basically and using that power. And like anything else, you know, they need to re-top up. And that's where Thomas is right now. He's so hungry, he can't think, can't move. He'll be all right once he feeds. And Harry notices that the dri- your, uh, her father's driver was tailing them because she's going to dispose of the body. Which seems confusing because we just, just heard that Thomas was going to be all right. And Lara says, he will be Justine won't and so we learn that thomas is so far gone that he's not going to be able to stop feeding no matter how much he cares about justine and how much thomas doesn't want to hurt her the demon the hunger is basically in control right now Mm -hmm. and so it's going to be it's it's going to devour her all the way through and they know this and they're okay pointing him at Justine and that's the plan. And so they bring Thomas to his chambers and we see Justine. We've seen her before and she is of course only worried about Thomas. Harry tells her she doesn't have to do this, but he'll die. And that's really all she needs. All she needs is she can keep him alive and she's willing to sacrifice herself for that. You know, and we've seen in the past, she's, she's willing to put it on the line for him. She's blackmailed Harry to try to get him to help Thomas at Bianca's. It's obviously she loves him and Harry says, you're addicted to him. And she says that too, but it doesn't change anything. I love him. Even if it kills you, of course. And Harry wants to fight more, but his extra energy from the belt buckle gives out at that moment. And I love that the last thing Justine does here is she helps Harry to the bed. You know, she's she's about to give her life for her, her love. And in the short term, she can still help Harry. And she does. Again, just a great piece of character building mm-hmm. and... Um, she, she kisses Harry's forehead and says, thank you. She tells him to tell Thomas that she loves him. She takes off her bathrobe and leaves to go to Thomas and her death. No, thank you. Do not, li- do not yike. I know yike. I know yike. So Harry wakes up and he has this interesting kind of feeling, I guess you could say, where sometimes you wake up and there's a little voice inside your head that tells you that today is a special day for a lot of kids. It sometimes happens on their birthdays and always on Christmas morning. I remember exactly one of those Christmases when I was little and my dad was still alive. I felt it again eight or nine years later, the morning that Justin DeMornay came to pick me up from the orphanage. I felt it one more time the morning Justin brought Elaine home from whatever orphanage she had been in. And now the little voice was telling me to wake up, that it was a special day. 
my little voice is sometimes kind of psycho. So he wakes and he finds himself on this gigantic bed. He is, has cuts and bruises. He's hungry. He's battered in blood. And he walks out of the room and sees that it's pre-dawn. It's not quite daylight. He opens the door to leave the room and it's locked. So he decides, okay, well, we'll do this Hulk style. He had said already that he he would blast his fucking way out and he is ready to do so. And he begins to, you know, huff and puff and blow the horse down, blow the house down rather. And Thomas comes through. He looks fine. He looks normal. But he doesn't look he doesn't meet Harry's eyes. His expression showed something I didn't think I'd ever seen in him before. Shame. He locked the door to make sure Harry got left alone. And Thomas brings in some clothes and said, there's a guest room two doors down on your left. You can use the shower in there. Harry is angry. Fury, pure and simple, flooded through me. How's Justine? I asked. My voice was flat and hard. He stood there without lifting his eyes. I felt my hands clench into angry fists. I realized that I was barely a breath away from attacking Thomas with my bare hands. That's what I thought, I said. I walked past him to the door. I'll clean up at home. Harry. I stopped. His voice was raw with emotion and sounded like he was trying to speak through a throat full of bitter mud. I wanted you to know, Justine, I tried to stop in time. I didn't want to hurt her. Never. Yeah, I said. You had good intentions. That makes it all right. I never pretended I wasn't a predator, Harry. I never claimed she was anything but what she was. Food. You knew it. She knew it. I didn't lie to anyone. Before she went to you last night, Justine asked me to tell you that she loved you. Short of shoving a running chainsaw into Thomas's guts, I don't think I could have hurt him anymore. He didn't look up when I spoke, and he started trembling with rapid breaths. Don't go yet. I need to talk to you, please. There are things that are happening that... I started walking out and heard myself put every bit of caustic contempt I could put... Put every bit of caustic contempt I could into the words. Make an appointment at my office. <laughs> <laughs> And then he points out that Mavra knows where this house is and you might want to wait for sunrise. He had a point. Damn it. Sunrise could send the black court into their hidey holes. And if they had any mortal accomplices, it would at least mean that it would only be up against the run of the mill weapons and tactics. So he stays. Uh, Thomas asks him if he could tell him a few things. And Harry says, yes. Or do you mind if I tell you a few things? Yes, I mind. Damn it, do you think I wanted this? I think you hurt and used someone you loved. Someone who loved you. A woman. As far as I'm concerned, you don't exist. You look like a person, but you aren't. You should have remembered that from... I should have remembered that from the beginning. Be satisfied with non-existence, Thomas. You're lucky you have it. It's the only thing keeping you alive. That's pretty... This is... We haven't really seen this Harry before. Mm -mm. And this is just 
he's angry. He, like he said, he's full of fury and rage. So he starts slamming doors. And it is funny because he, he says, it's, it was starting to seem a little childish. Even through a haze of bitter anger. <laughs> and he took a nice long hot shower. He pulls out some clothes that Thomas had brought him, which are jeans, socks. What he first thought was a circus tent, but turned out to be an enormous Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> which is spectacular. And he, he takes some time to build up, put the shirt on. But as he's looking in the mirror, Inari appears behind him, scares the shit out of him. <laughs> and however, one sec, he's already put his pants on, right? Yeah, he does. His pants are on. He's just waiting to get uh as the, the great philosopher, the great philosopher Joseph Tribbiani once said, you don't go tri- commando in somebody else's fatigues. Yes. Put your old underwear on inside out. If you have to, <laughs> you don't go commando in somebody else's fatigues. That's hilarious. So she is weird. Basically. Her voice was soft and her eyes were distant and unfocused. Your pet got out in the manor last night. Father asked me to find him and bring him back to you. Uh, thank you, I guess. Don't (laughs) let me keep you waiting. Just put him on the bed. And she's enamored with him in her weird, creepy way. Welcome. Puppy on the bed, please. (laughs) He's very uncomfortable. And she gets close. And he said, I could smell her perfume, a scent that made my knees wobble for a second. Her eyes had become a shade of the brightest silver, inhumanly intense, and I shivered as a spasm of raw physical need shot through me. Different from when Laura had hit me with the come hither, but just as potent. So we've got a baby succubus happening here. (laughs) And she starts groping him, licking his chest. The puppy's growling at her now. And we got into some serious heavy breathing when Inari tore her lips from mine, panting, her mouth swollen with heated kisses, her eyes flashed pure and empty white, and her skin began to grow luminous and pearlescent. I tried to fumble some words out of my mouth, telling her to stop. They didn't get past my tingling lips. She hooked one long leg behind one of mine and pressed in with a sudden inhuman strength to slather a line of licking wet kisses across my throat. And then the damnedest thing happened. She let out a panic shriek, staggered back, and her mouth is on, her mouth is literally burned. There are blisters, and she's suddenly confused. What happened? Harry, what are you doing here? And so he's trying to get the fuck out, and then Thomas comes in. He slams the door open and says, thank God oh, you're both all right. And, and Ari's confused. She's like, her mouth hurts. Why? What's happening? Those things last night and you were hurt and your eyes were right. Thomas, I, what? She obviously doesn't know what she is. And she's having this moment of things happening. I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying that is. And Thomas is sending her to bed. You need to rest. She says, how can I? I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. I've never felt anything like that. What's happening to me? We'll talk later, soon. We'll talk soon, all right? I'll give you some answers, but first you have to rest. I feel so empty, Thomas, and my mouth hurts. And so 
he takes her and, and puts her to bed. Thomas comes back and it's obvious how much Thomas cares for Nari. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, it, it's, she's his little sister, but he also, to me, it seems like he also understands that how confusing this is because he probably experienced it as well. And then Harry has this realization. Thomas may have hurt or killed the woman he loved, but the anger I felt wasn't solely a reaction to what he'd done. I was standing on the outside this time, but I'd seen this situation before when the Red Court had destroyed Susan's life. I would never have wished harm on Susan, not in a thousand years, but the fact remained that if she hadn't been going out with me, she probably would still be in Chicago writing her column for the Midwest Arcane, and she would still be human. Notice now, it, now it's the Midwest Arcane. Like I said. Right, it changed. Yeah. And that's why I felt such anger and shame when I looked at Thomas. I was staring to, into a mirror, and I didn't like what I saw there. I'd all but destroyed myself in the wake of Susan's transformation. For all I knew right now, Thomas was worse, worse off than I'd been. So we've got this dichotomy of these women losing their life as they know it in Justine's case, her actual life, but in Susan's life, her life as she knew it because they got involved with these men. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy. And Harry says, I shouldn't have tried to hurt him more. I shouldn't have started chucking stones from when in my own glass domicile. She knew what she was doing. I said into the silence, she knew the risk. She wanted to help you. It wasn't your decision at that point, Thomas. So they they get into this little conversation about your dad and Lara knew Justine was important to you. They could have handed you to anybody, but they said specifically Lara. They said specifically Justine. And, just, and Lara knew he was going to do this. But Harry apologized. He says, what I said was out of line. No, you were right. Right isn't the same thing as cruel. I'm sorry. Harry, throughout his faults, Harry is good at kind of seeing his weaknesses. He sometimes overinflates his weaknesses, but this is a moment of, he is, it's a great realization, let's say. Um, And then they, Harry's ready to leave, and Thomas says he's going to take him around the guards and the end. The monitors, and if my father sees you leaving, he might try to kill you again. What do you right, mean again? Because, because Inari was an attempt. At, that's that's what I was just getting into. Inari, he sent Inari to to Harry's chambers because that white well, court uses misdirection, seduction, and manipulation. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say uh, because hospitality and guest right go away when you're no longer a guest. So if he leaves, he's now leaving that protection. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we talked again about the letter of the law versus spirit of the law. The spirit of the law would be you're our guest. You leave, you go home. The letter of the law is you're our guest. You leave. You're no longer our guest. Get yeah. fucked. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. But also this was an intentional act to work around the law of hospitality mm-hmm. because the the father wanted her to be 
him to be his first, first feeding and first kill, first lover and first kill. And in my family, we start off life just like any other kid, just people, no hunger, no feeding, no vampire stuff at all. So that's pretty fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you add to that, that the, what the Wraith family policy of not telling your kid. Yeah. How horrible. Absolutely horrible. So, and that's why I mentioned this last week and I, I said I was going to put a pin in it and I actually made a note so I wouldn't forget. Um, when Lara says Romani was the name of her first husband. She's hundreds of years old. Yeah. So her first time having sex was probably on her wedding night. Yeah. And so when she said, you know, her, 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 it was her husband briefly. That's probably, she was probably I actually didn't even think about that. That Well, of course not. That's why I mentioned it is that I wanted to come back to that, that she probably was, you know, clearly it wasn't true love because the hunger didn't die for both yeah. of them, but she probably was expecting to be Lara Romani until the day she died and, you know, live and she as, a, as a good wife. And she didn't know. And she killed him. So, um, just adding layers to the monster and the trauma, yeah. um, that this, this, it doesn't explicitly explain it and it, it may not be, it may not be the case. Right. Yeah. But that connection there of her saying it was my first husband or my husband's name or my married name for a time, for a short time or something. I don't remember yeah. the exact quote, but it probably was her husband yeah. that she killed without knowing she was going to kill him. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. That's true, though. The fucked up family. <laughs> you thought your yeah. family was fucked up. Nah. Um, <laughs> we just have fucked up sense of humor. Um, but we learn, we also learn that Harry's love for Susan protected him. When we feed, we mingle our lives with the prey, blend them together, transform a portion of their life into ours, and then pull it away with us. It isn't all that different between human beings. Sex is more than just sensation. It's a union of energy of two lives. It's explosive. It's a process for creating life, for creating a new soul. Think about that. Power doesn't get more dangerous and more volatile than that. Love is another kind of power, which shouldn't surprise you. Magic comes from emotion, among other things. And when two people are together in that intimacy, when they really selflessly love each other, it changes them both. It lingers on in the energy of their lives, even when they are apart. And, and it's deadly to us. We can inspire lust, but it's just a shadow, an illusion. Love is a dangerous force. Love killed the dinosaurs, man. <laughs> That's such like a hippie moment, the way he said it. And I loved it so much. Yeah. There's a theory making the rounds now that when the meteor hit, it only killed off the big stuff. That there were plenty of smaller reptiles running around about the same size as all the mammals at the time. The reptiles should have regained their position inevitably, but they didn't. Because the mammals could feel love. They could be utterly, even irrationally devoted to their mates and their offspring. It made them more likely to survive. The lizards couldn't do that. The meteor hit, gave the mammals their shot, but it was love that turned the tide. And what the hell does that have to do with Inari getting burned? Aren't you listening? 
Love is a primal energy, Harry. To actually touch that kind of power hurts us. It burns. We can't take any energy that's been touched by love. It dampens our ability to cause lust as well. Even the trappings of love between two people can be dangerous. Lara's got a circular scar on the palm of her hand where she picked up the wrong wedding ring. My cousin Madeline picked up a rose that had been gifted between lovers and the thorns poisoned her so badly she was in bed for a week. The last time you were with anyone, it was with Susan. You love her. You love each other. Her touch, her love is still upon you and still protecting you. So you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have love, none of it means crap. And he quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from the Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is always, love is always forgives. We all know that when it's said at every fucking wedding. Father makes us all, makes all of us memorize that passage. I thought that was really interesting. But it also, it, it gives power to that. We've, we've talked all the time about words being power and, and feelings being power and, and the power of, of emotion and, and will. And that's a great, this is a great example of it. And I love the use of that Bible verse because it is, it talks about the power of love, you know, um, and not in the eighties song variety, but same, same. Power uh, of love. Exactly. Huey Lewis, right? Huey Lewis and the news. And the news. And the news. The news are still involved in that one. Um, so it's one, one Corinthians. Yes. Chapter 13. Um, mm-hmm. as our former president would say. Yeah. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. So that was a quote. I referenced that quote before when we mm-hmm. were talking about the swords, right? The, the, the three swords at the Knights of the Cross wield uh-huh. are the swords of faith, hope, and love. And I actually mistakenly thought that love is patient, love is kind. And I thought those were, were different verses. No. Um, so, so I retroactively apologize. And you didn't catch my comment on it either. But, no, I did not. Um, but that is a um, – that's what I know. And I'm not – I mean, I used to be Catholic, I guess. But it comes out it, – like I said, that, that's at like almost every wedding. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first that comes yeah. out. But I do like that three things will endure, faith, hope, and love. And those are Esperachius, Amarachius, and um, Fidelachius. Yep. And the greatest, and the, of, and the greatest of these is love because obviously – because Michael has to have the most powerful one. Because, of course. Because he's Michael. Yeah. But – Love this isn't talking about the swords, but that we did that has come up on the pod before that that mm-hmm. specific Bible verse. But it's also again world building, some fantastic mm-hmm. world building. And I I love the way that he says it's like you know like putting the yuck the yuck stickers on cleaning supplies. Yes. He, he makes sure that his his kids know all about love. Um, I the the dinosaur one I, I thought was kind of dumb. I loved it. Um, I thought it was like, but it's. But it's a, well, there's a theory going around. That's what entertained me about it because it's like, they don't actually know, but it's a theory going around. And I love, so I love the random theories that different groups have. I think it's hilarious and interesting. I, I mean, nowadays it's a little bit more dangerous with the conspiracy theories, but I, things like that, where it's completely harmless, like what happened to the dinosaurs, why, you know, Mm-hmm. how cats were domesticized by the Egyptians, shit like that. Like, I just love those, those, cause you, you, you don't, you don't actually know, but I love those theories. I just think they're fantastic. And it's, it's the, there's theory going around and you know, in the vampire world 
or the white court world, because that's, you know, they're the only ones that are so affected by love. Mm -hmm. Harry asks, uh, what do you want to talk to me about? Thomas leads him into a portrait gallery. Father always paints a portrait of the women who bear him children. Look at them. What am I looking for? Just look. So it goes through and the costumes progress through the history of fashion, steadily grown closer to the present day. The next to last portrait was of a woman with dark hair, dark eyes, and sharp features. She wasn't precisely pretty, but she was definitely attractive in a striking, intriguing sense. She sat on a stone bench wearing a long, dark skirt and a deep crimson cotton blouse. Her head had an arrogant tilt to it. Her mouth held a self-amused smile. And her arms rested on the back of the bench on either side of her, casually claiming the entire space as her own. My heart started pounding hard. Stars went over my vision. I struggled to focus on the golden nameplate beneath the portrait. I read it. Margaret Gwendolyn Le Fay. I recognized her. I had only one picture to remember her by, but I recognized her. My mother. And then Thomas drew out a pentacle, silver pentacle, just like his, precisely like his. Not yours, Harry, Thomas said, his voice quiet and serious. I stared at him. Our mother. Hot damn. Damn, Delta Gam. So that, we find, is why Thomas has been going out of his way to help Harry. Um, Yes, sir. Certainly retroactively puts things into perspective. Doesn't really change when he kicked Susan to the vampires, but we kind of gloss over that as we move through the series. I mean, Um, he was looking to protect uh, Harry, not Susan, apparently. Someone actually asked, butcher about that at a con a few years back he's like what do you mean did he do that really (laughs) that's hilarious or something to that effect but whatever you can hand wave it just fine that he was working like i mean he actually said he was working to get behind them and create a second front kind of idea but it is interesting you know we've had these kind of comments and we have them even more as the series goes on where it just kind of reframes what we've seen, which is cool. It's just a great way to do storytelling, especially when you have it from a first person perspective, because there's so much that Harry doesn't know. Yeah. And so it's, it's totally believable that Harry wouldn't know this. And then when Harry finds out, it kind of rattles his world a little bit to the extent where he doesn't believe it. Right. Tells tells Thomas a liar, you know, which you kind of understand. Oh, sure. I mean, this is like, Holy shit. The fuck. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I get it in the instance, but it's a pretty elaborate lie having a picture of his mother on the wall next to all the other women. You know what I mean? Like, if he sits yeah. and thinks about it for a second, he'll realize that it's obviously true. But I understand it takes a little while for him to process this, and you know, we saw it earlier in the novel where he struggles with the idea of family stuff. You know, he struggles watching family stuff, experiencing what he, you know, and the interaction he had with Murphy. Exactly. Right. So I understand his kind of trepidation to believe this, but I I do think even without the soul gaze that we're about to see, he would come around 
pretty shortly yeah. to it. You know, there's a little bit about the pentacle, the silver pentacle matching Harry's. Mm-hmm. We saw Elaine had one. I don't remember the description, but I seem to recall that it was also the same as his. And maybe that was just early novel shenanigans, you know, feel finding the footing and understanding. Yeah. Maybe hers isn't exactly the same. Who knows? But this is definitely important. They have, they have another fight. He punches Thomas. They, he tries to get up in a choke hold. He bites him. Um, it's a whole to do. And they're sitting there breathing heavy, sitting there on the ground. And Thomas says, it's the truth. I swear it. Wait, I've seen this one before. This is where you say, search your feelings. You know it to be true. <laughs> um, search your feelings. You know it to be true. I guess would actually be the voice. You wanted to know why I've been helping you? Why I risked my, myself for you? Now you know. I don't believe you. <laughs> I told you that too. I do love that line. <laughs> I told you you wouldn't believe me. You said it yourself. You use people. I think you're playing me off against your father somehow. It might work out that way. But that's not why I asked you to help Arturo. Why then? Because he's a decent man who doesn't deserve to get killed. And there's no way I could have done it on my own. Let me learn about the stuff we talked about with Inari mm-hmm. and how she hasn't been taken by the hunger. Once she feeds, there's no going back. And we learned that about we learned that about Susan as well. So that's a once they feed, there's no going back. That's sort of yeah. Again, which is why when you you brought up that comparison earlier, mm-hmm. I said it was kind of cheap and lazy. And it, it really is. Again, I, I I could be picking nits again, but there are different types of vampires. With but they're still different... vampires. Sure, that was my thought on it. Yeah, but all the different types of vampires are very different and do different things. Mm-hmm. But I guess why are they all considered vampires? Maybe because they do have some similarities. Okay, okay, I talked myself into it because <laughs> I just figured that it was it was they're all the same. They're different species of the same varietal genus. Genome. Same genus. There we go. I couldn't. <laughs> um, I couldn't think of my basic biology. Sorry. All apologies. All apologies. Well, now I just wonder what the intermediate period is for the Black Court. Yeah. <laughs> just remind me of a a quote from Buffy where she says, "Oh, what is it?" To make a vampire, they have to suck your blood, and then you have to suck their blood. It's a whole big sucking thing. Uh, <laughs> but, did, you know, is there an intermediate period where a black court vampire, before they get their first kill, isn't fully turned? I imagine there has to be. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not really sure. We don't know, certainly at this point. But it is interesting, the similarities between the whites and the reds there. And now I think of it as less lazy and more... Why are they both called vampires? Because they all have some connection. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm back. I'm back, Butch. You got me, Jimbo. <laughs> um, I apologize for doubting you, good sir. Tip of the cap. But this is kind of the second half of why Thomas is, is getting uh, Harry involved here. Mm-hmm. Because he wants to use him, basically, to help save Inari. Because if she's in love the first time, it could kill her hunger. Yeah. I like that caveat there. It's not necessarily going to do it, but it could. And then she'd be free. And, you know, she's mature enough to be capable of that love. 
something that maybe Lara wasn't capable of at the time. I don't know. But also, if you it, like you said, if it was 100 years ago with Lara, it wasn't necessarily, necessarily courting and yeah. love. And yeah, no, that's fair. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. They don't ever confirm that. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of my headcanon on that. Because yeah. why else would she use that? I don't know. It seems it seems like to use a name, you would use a name of some significance if it's a former husband. Yeah. And I can't, can't imagine Lara care. A, marries a lot of people and B, cares about a lot of people. Yeah. He mentions that there's a boy she's all um, in. What's the word he uses? Fine. pated about. Uh, it's just, just the first time I've ever seen that in print or heard it aloud. And I have no inclination to look it up, but I'm going to appreciate it for what it is. And Harry says, Bobby, the macho violent kid. And I do love this line where Thomas says, give him a break. How insecure would you be if you were planning on spending the day having sex on camera in front of the girl you'd like to ask for dinner? <laughs> this might shock you, but I've never really considered that question before. <laughs> I love it. If the kid loves her in return, then she could have a life. She could be free of the kind of things that, things that like what happened to Justine, like what my father has done to my other sisters. And there we find out what their father has done to his other sisters. And it's no bueno. It rhymes with rape and it's pretty awful. And that's basically how he establishes control. He pits his hunger against theirs, kills off all the sons, and he sexually assaults all the daughters. So certainly father of the year. Yeah. And um, yeah, just atrocious i mean this will come up in yikes and it's not necessarily yikes in the same way that some of the other yikes stuff is but i think it's certainly going to be worth mentioning yeah um you tell me but um harry sums it up sums up how ridiculous this request is where he says so let me get this straight you want me to help save the girl overthrow the dark lord and defend the innocents terrorized by dark magic and you want me to do it because you're my long lost half brother who needs someone noble to stand beside him in a desperate battle for what's right. (laughs) That paraphrasing has way more melodrama in it than I would have used. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Harry calls it a really lame con. (laughs) I really like this from Thomas. He says, give me some credit, Dresden. I know how to con. If you were just a Mark, Mm -hmm. I'd have, I'd have come up with a better story, which is fair. It is. It's a hundred percent fair. Yeah. And you know, he says the bullshit about my mother. She's my mother too. Harry, you knew she wasn't exactly white as the driven snow. I know you've learned a little over the years. She was one hell of a dangerous witch and kept some bad company. Some of it was with my father. Again, we get a little bit more about his mother, where she escaped Lord Wraith because she was too strong for him to completely enthrall. She ran away when Thomas was about five. From what he's been able to learn, she met Harry's father the next year. So he's the older brother. So Thomas is the older brother, but she was on the run when she met Harry's father. And this is interesting because all we know about Harry's mother, we've gotten in bits and pieces, right? Where John Zagaroth mentioned her, Nicodemus mentioned her, right? So these dark creatures this kind of lends itself to what Thomas is saying, right? She clearly wasn't Margaret the white. She was, which I know is just about the color, but still, but she wasn't 
Maggie the Good. She was problematic. Mm -hmm. And actually, I don't know if it's about the color. (laughs) I don't know the difference between Gandalf the Gray and Gandalf the White. Um, Maybe it's maybe it's a uh, like a level of power because Saruman the White leveled up on the White as well. Maybe there you go. Who knows? I really need to brush up on my Tolkien lore. I guess (laughs) (laughs) she. But either way, but it does kind of all lend itself to this, right? Where Nicodemus uh, said he liked his mother. Chanzagaroth said that he, you know, was a, was a fan. Mm-hmm. And so, and now we see that she had a child by Lord Wraith. So she certainly made the rounds in the underworld here. And um, we're not really sure to what ends, but it isn't a bit of interesting more a uh, little, a little more interesting bit of information. Yeah, definitely rather, about Harry's mother here. And you know, he says, "What? Who was she on the run from? Maybe my father. Maybe some people in the courts or on the council. I don't know. She'd gotten into, into some bad business and wanted out. Whoever she was in it with wa- didn't want her gone. They wanted her dead. That's almost everything I know, Harry. I tried to learn all I could about her, but no one would talk to me. Which Harry kind of has that problem too." Absolutely. I mean, it could cost him a name. He could, but he could get that information, I guess. Yeah, but he'd have to give a name. And then Harry makes a, a really good realization, which again is something that he's not always capable of doing, kind of self reflection. But when he says, "Damn it all! What if Thomas was playing it straight with me? It would mean that I knew a little more about why the White Council all watched me like I was Lucifer the next generation. It would mean being forced to accept that my mother was involved in bad business." Scary, big, bad business of one kind or another, which that I think he really should already have. Accepted. I was just going to say that, like, that, this is something we should already uh, have in our hands here, considering everybody who's like, yeah, I knew your ma. Yeah. The only people who name drop her are, are the, the evilest of the right? evil, right? Like, come on, big dog. But yeah, it, it kind of does play out the way, you know, again, he's, he's struggling to deal with this. And so he's working through it. And I like that we this you know one again one of those times where the first person perspective really pays off. Yeah, as we're working through this process, you know, part of why this would be an interesting show. And I know there was a TV show that I actually started watching a couple episodes, and I really liked them. Haven't finished it yet, but where so much of this story is told in the voiceover, you know, that was a problem I felt with the Hunger Games mm-hmm. adaptations as well. Because so much of the story is about her feelings and, you know, J-Law is a great actress, but it's so hard to convey a lot of her figuring out the subterfuge and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, underpinnings of that universe. And we get the same thing here where it would be so hard to show this, not tell it, that I, it would be an interesting and difficult adaptation, which is a big reason why it hasn't been done on that scale yet. But um, this scene in particular would, would... you know, it is just a good reminder of that, that there is a place, there's still a place for books in the world list. I don't know if you knew that, <laughs> but uh, I really do like it. You know, he goes through the kind of natural fantasies about a child and, you know, when he's a kid and se- ta- thinking about celebrating Christmas again and stuff like that, which I guess he hadn't done since his father died, which is just heartbreaking because I love Christmas. It's just so fun. The music, the decorations. Oh, come on. It's good stuff, Lizzie. Thomas says, I'm not lying to you. Then prove it. Harry tells him, you know, they want to do a soul. He wants to do a soul gaze. And 
Thomas is nervous about it, which is interesting because we know that everyone reacts poorly to seeing Harry's soul historically, but Thomas is nervous about it here. Like he doesn't want Harry to see who he truly is, which is interesting, but Harry basically, you know, demands it. And so they do. And it's unlike any soul gaze we've ever seen Mm -hmm. in that he's not a passenger, right? Usually Mm -hmm. you see some stuff. And I know the one time we saw it with whoever the bearer of Ursiel was, Mm -hmm. he, you know, he kind of screamed at Harry and communicated with him, but even still, he wasn't in control of himself he was just kind of watching what happened, right? Yeah. This is the first time we've had a really interactive soul gaze, which is mm-hmm. interesting and suggests to me at least that there's some sort of magic going on beyond the soul gaze itself. Yeah. I don't know how you took that. She, well, like and maybe, she actually said he actually one of them actually said that she put it there. Yeah, like she she did this intentionally mm-hmm. somehow. Obviously, we don't know how it we don't know how any of the spells were. Well, Lissy does, but I, she won't tell me. Um, I don't know how any of the spells work, right? So it, but th- this even more than I don't know the other stuff. I don't know, understand this really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of cool and different. And clearly she did something magically to create this kind of pocket universe, mm-hmm. I guess, which they can only get to by soul gazing. And so he has a conversation with her. There's a great, uh, it just made, rather, it made me think of a great um, quote here, uh, where he says, "Are you real? Why should I not be?" Um, you, know, you could just be part of Thomas's mental landscape. No offense, like no child, it's really me. In some measure, at least, I prepared you both for this day. I laid this working within each of you, right? Like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. But it's just from the other Harry Wizard series by the the awful Turf author. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes is where it's in book seven towards the end where Harry's mostly dead and he's talking Dumbledore and he says, is this real or is this only happening in my head or is it real? And as he's fading out, Dumbledore says, of course it's happening in your head, but why on earth should that mean it isn't real? Good point. Um, Which is like one of my favorite quotes from that series that and it's our choices, Lissy, that say who we truly are far more than our abilities. Um, those are my two favorite quotes, both of them from Dumbledore, who actually was a psychopath. But um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It, it, that just made me think of that quote where, you know, it's, are you real or is this just in Thomas's head? Like, yeah, it's in Thomas's head, but I'm real. You know, um, why, why on earth should something in your head not be real? I just love that thought. It. it I just love that thought. It, it sparks joy. You know, she doesn't actually say that Thomas is her son, which is funny. That just leaves the door open where yeah. he says, you know, is he really your son? And she says, what is, what is, what does your intuition tell you? I don't think that he's, she's pulling the wool over our eyes. And I don't think this is going to be a bait and switch 20 years later, <laughs> but it is just, I just did think that was kind of funny. Yeah. We do get a little bit of the typical soul gaze stuff, right? He sees kind of the, abandoned Mount Olympus. We see the hunger, the demon in there. And again, this, this tells us something about Thomas that I really like where we see the hunger hissing at Thomas, Mm -hmm. telling him to give up, that there's no point in fighting, that it'll never leave him in peace. 
And Harry asks if it's true. And she says, perhaps, but he's fighting anyway. It may destroy him, but he will not surrender himself to it. And this line that he is of my blood, I felt was kind of arrogant and leaned into the, she's not really an all good guy, right? Like he's my fucking kid. Of course he's going to do it. It just seemed out of place. Yeah. And I think was supposed, and she even calls herself arrogant later. Literally, as I was going through it, I, I just, I made a, a note. that was, you know, the kind of an arrogance of someone who thought she could test the lines of good and evil. Yeah. Push the bound right and wrong. Right. So I, I, it really is her. It really is real, mm-hmm. you know, but I just, I thought that line right there kind of showed a little bit of her character, mm-hmm. but also way more important than that was what that, com- you know, that back and forth says about Thomas, that he's fighting an impossible battle. Yeah. And he's doing it anyway. I just love that. I love that about Thomas. It makes me love Thomas more. It makes me appreciate his battles. It makes me understand more understanding of what happened with Justine. He's trying. Yeah, for sure. And that he's not always succeeding. You know, that's, that's, that's life, but he's trying every day. And I, I really love that about him. And I, Every soul gaze is interesting in its own way, right? This one is just, is different, but it, I, I just love so much of what we're seeing. I like the way that this is done. Absolutely. It really is um, just well-crafted. It's not too much of an exposition dump. It's not too easy of an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it obviously literally does answer the question at hand. Yes. So I guess maybe it is, but, but it's it, well done in that way. Yeah. She hands him a gem. Yes, I like this. Do we see the gem in in the real world? I don't think so. I don't either. So I guess let's put a pin in that. But it is, maybe we'll see it later in the novel. I don't recall. It calls to mind something else that I don't want to bring up, but. Insight. So it's, it's insight, it's knowledge, it's, it's. I don't know if we would need to see it. But what is it insight and knowledge of? He doesn't mention that. No, he doesn't. Nor does she. Exactly. Which is why I wonder what the deeper meaning there is. You know, she touches his face and says, I was so arrogant. I laid too great a burden upon you to bear alone. I hope that one day you will forgive my mistake, but know that I am proud of what you have become. I love you, child. Now, we don't know what that is. No. We don't know what bur- burden this is. You know, obviously we know he was living on his own and grew up on his own, but I don't think it's referring to that, you know, because it, you wouldn't say I was so arrogant I died. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she created, she did something here, and we don't know what it is that has created a burden that he's going to have to bear at some point. And, or maybe he's currently bearing it. We, you know, we don't know. But that line is, I think, important and powerful. And it's also only asks questions, <laughs> right? But I think that might be pretty darn important as we get down the road. But who knows? She tells him to give her love to Thomas. And tells him to be well. And the soul gaze ends. And he realizes, he starts laughing because he realizes, as we know, the soul gaze is the sight, meaning everything you see is indelible, 
it never goes away, it never fades. And he had seen his mother. He'd seen her smile, he heard her voice, and it was something he could never lose. Something no one could take away from them. Unless they did a memory spell and it would take a little while to get it back by kissing your true love or something, as we've seen in the past. But it couldn't make up for a lifetime of loneliness and silent grief, but it was more than I ever thought I would have, which is sweet. But it's also something he needed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And not just the confirmation of Thomas, right? He needed this to help him continue to go on. Yeah. Um, And now he's always going to have that in a tough spot, which is great. You know, they tell each other that she told each other to say that she loves the other, um, which is just confusing and unnecessary, but still fine and cute. And Harry says, I'm not going to, I'm not saying that we're going to start from a fresh slate, but things are different now. They aren't for me, Harry. I mean, I knew this already. That's why I tried to help wherever I could. What are you going to do about Arturo? Protect him and his people, of course, if I can. And he brings up that line that we kind of ruminated over last week, if I use that word correctly. Probably didn't. What did Laura mean when she said that Arturo's independent streak was a matter for the white court? Damned if I know. I thought it was just someone Laura knew from the industry. Does your dad have any connection? Dad doesn't advertise what he's doing. No. I haven't spoken more than 20 words to him in the last 10 years. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting that it's even he doesn't know. But he's the one who asked for the help. Did Lara ask him to ask? Well, remember, his Thomas's reasoning is pretty straightforward and noble. He just wants to help Arturo. Yeah. Right. And remember, Lara wasn't actually going to be involved in this shoot. She only, That's right. She only was, and Ari was going to be, it sounds like she was going to be a you know, production assistant. But, but Lara only showed up after Giselle got sliced. That's true. That's true. And we still don't know who all is causing said trouble. But it doesn't seem like it's Lara because she wouldn't go after her little sister. Yeah. And it also, I think, probably takes Papa Wraith off the list as well. Uh, yes, very suspects much so. Because the way he actually, he did care for Inari. And the, the curse yeah. went after Inari. We learn a little bit about at least the rumors around Lord Wraith. The kiss of death is a power yes, power that he has. He can rip. He can basically do what Thomas did to Justine, but from you know not all not all the way coitusing and doing it all at once. So he can just rip the life force out of you. Yeah, but he says supposedly he's never seen it himself. Lara has, and his cousin Madeline, who he's brought up a couple times here, has has seen it. But, you know, Harry says stories, supposedly, for someone on the inside, your information isn't really helpful. I know. I'm not thinking clearly right now. I'm sorry. Can't throw stones. I'm, I feel lost. I don't know what to do. I think I do, I said. What? Instead of answering him, I offered him my hand. He took it, and I drew my brother to his feet. Which is a cute way to say that he's all in on. But Harry go all in on things. Oh, no, but he, he does. He has been known to do so. Mm-hmm. All right. So Harry leaves the Chateau Wraith. He and the puppy hit the drive through at Mickey D's. He gets back to the apartment and he finds that someone 
was trying to break through his wards. He, they were not successful, thankfully, but they were trying to get through his wards, which is a big kind of scary sort of moment there. Uh, Mr. Comes, comes back and we have Bob hop out of Mr. And Bob spent the evening going to strip clubs. Harry's not very happy with that. As Bob is wont to do. As Bob is wont to do. And I mean, it's Bob. Harry threatens him with the claw hammer. I'm going to smash your skull into freaking powder is the warning, which, you know, I mean, it makes sense. And so Bob hops back in, mister, and heads on out. Harry kind of ruminates about Thomas. Before that morning, there'd been no one in my life except for a, except a few truly hardcore friends, some familiar professional associates, my cat, and one or two dedicated enemies who visited at least as often as my friends. But now, I had a brother. Kinfolk, as old Ebenezer would say. And it changed things. He thinks about basically his mortality here. I operated solo except for a herd of depressing thoughts for company. I thought about how I already had a grave, complete with a white marble headstone waiting for me at Graceland Cemetery, courtesy of an enemy now dead, but no less ready to receive me. He also thinks about growing old. Alone. It was not unusual for his wizard to live more than three centuries, but that wouldn't stop time from taking its toll. Sooner or later, I'd be old and frail, maybe even tired of living and dying. I would have no one to share it with me, or hold my hand when I was afraid. In some simple, unexplainable, and utterly irrational way, Thomas's presence had altered that. His blood was in common with my own, and knowing it had created a strong emotional bond like nothing I had felt before. My heart sped a little bit out of sheer happiness at the thought. So one of the things that this is totally in my head, um, plotting and planning. He told Murphy he couldn't collect sunshine in a handkerchief because you have to have, or maybe he does that later. You have to have happiness. Yeah, that's later. It's later. Sorry, but this moment he has he has sheer happiness oh. because he has a brother. So that was my thought on that. Uh, so he goes down to the lab, fumbles, to, or sorry, he uh, shuts the door to the lab, fumbles through his pantry and find a bottle of aspirin and takes the aspirin without any water. I hear that's a bad sign when you can do medication like that. In my, in my notes for this chapter, I wrote, and I quote, bra dogging aspirin. Mm-hmm. Take, take that as you will. I love that. Multiple. So, first things I checked for. I che- I checked my problem inventory. Multiple injuries, including a vicious headache from where Inari had socked me. On one side of me lurked a mysterious wielder of a sloppy but lethal curse. On the other side, a homicidal vampire and her crew of killers. And lest I forget, somewhere behind me was a cold, distant mercenary who was going to kill me if I didn't pay his fee. And I had no idea where I would come up with the cash. What a mess! And it wasn't yet mid morning. I had to get moving before the bad guys get organized and come at me again. 
Damn, if only I knew where to where I needed to move. And if only I didn't have a sinking feeling that it might already be too late. Bum, bum, bum. I know I do that at the end of every chapter. It's just, it's how my brain works. <laughs> Fair enough. Let me see. Harry goes to the parking lot at Chicago PD and he waits for Murphy to arrive. She comes back from the gym on her motorcycle. He sees his car and she goes and parks right next to him. He says, uh, Morning, you sound pretty chipper. She says, Sometimes I forget how much I like riding the bike. Most chicks do. Roar of the engine and so on. (laughs) Something that we talk about a lot. Murphy agrees with us and says, Pig, you really do enjoy dropping all women together in the same demographic, don't you? Which, while fair, um, he says, Not my fault all women like motorcycles, Murph. They're basically huge vibrators with wheels. And uh, she can't even really get mad at him, uh, because it is funny. But um, she says, what's wrong? I I took a bit of a beating yesterday. And I love this line where she says, I've seen you beaten before. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her this is personal stuff. He can't talk about it yet. He found out he might have family. And she says, I won't push, but if you ever want to talk about it when I want to, just not this morning, you got time to grab some breakfast with me. Again, we see her be kind of surreptitious about this conversation, suggesting that maybe SI or uh, not SI, excuse me, maybe um, IA is still on her ass investigating her for all sorts of malfeasance. So they have a little coded talk about it. And, He wants to take her to meet the other problem solver to discuss the situation. And he tells her that they're going to eat at IHOP. And she says, my hips hate you, Dresden, which just feels so 90s. Yes. Like uh, married with children. Kind of early, late 90s, early aughts era thing for a woman to say. It's. She works out all the fucking time. Like, come on. Yeah. That and the, the motorcycle comment. This was the, the yikes in this set of chapters. Yeah, no, for sure. This one is just more sneaky. Um, it, like, Married with Children is what it made me think of, which is one of the yikes in shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't hold up as well as it, it, as funny as it was that way back when. It doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Um, but that's just what that kind of made my brain go to. Um, yeah, no, that's accurate. I agree. And I I think it was as much to set up the next line of saying, just wait till they sit in my car because, you know, his car is all fucked up with no seats and stuff. Um, but it, it didn't work for me. Certainly. Um, sounds like, sounds like it didn't work for you either. Um, he threw the puppy in the box in the back seat and he started to wrestle with a sock. I think the sock was winning, which I love. I love that. I love the, I love the puppy. Oh, the puppy is so cute. And I can't wait till I get to start using its name. But uh, they go to IHOP and it's weird. The radio's not on. It's not very crowded. You know, it's a Saturday morning. And a section is blocked off with the like accordion folding screen, you know, um, 
and they don't ever explain why mm-hmm. it's like this, but we, I mean, it's because of Kincaid, it's Kincaid. but we don't know what Kincaid did. He's superhuman to create, but yeah, but what did he do to create this scenario? Magic. We don't really know. Maybe it's magic, quite frankly. Magic. Um, <laughs> but so they go into that back area where Kincaid is. You know, he says, I hope you don't hope you don't mind me asking the manager for a quiet section to sit in. It's fine, Kincaid. This is Murphy. Murph Kincaid. Mm. You said this was business. Why'd you bring a date? <laughs> He's not a date. She's going with us. I always heard you were a funny guy, Dresden. Seriously, what's she doing here? I don't like your attitude. Not now, kitten. Talking business with your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend. You're kidding me, Dresden. This isn't amateur hour. We're playing with Black Court. I don't have time to babysit little Pollyanna here, and neither do you. And I like this where Harry... I don't like any of the things I've read already. I like this. (laughs) So we're clear. Where Harry starts to speak and thinks better of it. Murphy would have my head if I tried to protect her when she didn't think she needed it. I took a small but prudent step back from them. (laughs) (laughs) Harry finally figuring it out. Yes, it took him a minute. And Kincaid continues to antagonize Murphy. Antagonize, a nice word for it. I mean, he's a douchebag. This is where the big boys play, princess. He puts his hand on her. And she said, that's assault. But I'll tell you this once. I won't repeat myself. Don't touch me. <laughs> and I love the, the way it's written here where he gets angry and gives her a shove and says, get out of here, whore. Murphy didn't repeat herself. Her hands blurred uh-huh. as she caught in Kate's wrist. I just, uh-huh. I love, again, we've talked about this a lot where the repetition, it, it, it it's so powerful. Brilliant. And that is just such a brilliant line. I'm glad you said brilliant. I stole it from you halfway through you saying it. Um, <laughs> it's just such a great way to describe oh, yeah. what's happened. Murphy didn't repeat herself. Um, but she wouldn't. Oh, absolutely. But it's just a funny way to describe what we know. I know what the next line is going to be. After that. Yeah. I don't need him to her to tell me that her hands blurred and she caught him, threw him over her tape, right? Because Oh yeah. She threw hands because you she, knew she was. But she throw said hands. she's not gonna repeat herself. Yeah. And then he did it again, right? I just love it. It shows how powerful Murphy is. It shows how much we know now about Murphy. And yeah. he has his gun out, but she traps his gun arm and has her gun on him. And she says, Call me that again. I dare <laughs> you. I double dog dare you. <laughs> oh, I like her. I heard about her, but I wanted to see it myself. I like this one, Dresden. He says, maybe you should stop talking about her like she isn't standing there holding a gun under your chin. I mean, maybe. Maybe you're right. Hope you won't remain offended, Lieutenant. I just needed to see if you measured up to your reputa- reputation before we went forward. Do you feel better now? <laughs> I feel satisfied. It's a little easy to get you started, but at least you're competent. So, we gloss over it here because it's not Murphy's perspective. Right. But she had having the exact same response as Harry did when Lord Wraith called him wizard Dresden. Yeah. Right. Cause he says, hope you won't remain offended. Lieutenant Lieutenant. Yeah. Right. So he knows exactly who this is. He didn't know she was coming to this meeting. Tells you a lot about how much homework Kincaid does. Oh yeah. 
But that's not a surprise to me at all. Oh, no. But it, but again, if if we're watching this from Murphy's perspective, A, this would be a much fun, yeah. funnier scene. And B, oh, yeah. I wonder how she's reacting internally to that that one word, lieutenant, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's, it, it's, he's telling a story with that. A hundred percent, yeah. Did you, did you watch the Hawkeye series? No, I haven't. There's a scene where one of the antagonists, she's not a bad guy. She's too funny to be a bad guy. But Yelena's breaks into um, her apartment and she gets home and she keeps saying, uh, Kate Bishop, do you want to do this? Why don't you sit down, Kate Bishop? Da, da, da. And she's like, do you keep saying my whole name just so you, just so I know that you know it? She's like, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do, Kate Bishop. <laughs> um, just kind of the same idea. Just letting everyone know how much you know yeah. is is more powerful than keeping it on the inside. It, it, Definitely. It's, it's terrifying, you know, and, and, as we've seen Harry react thusly so far. Yeah. <laughs> like how she asks if he has a license and permit. Kincaid says, naturally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she says the line that you you knew I was going to hate when you read it. I'm still a cop. It means something to me. Whatever. The hardest eye roll. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I thought that was a, uh, that's dumb, but it is in character, I guess. Very much is. She uh, tells Harry to make sure all his actions are going to be legal. And Harry says, Kincaid, no felonies without checking with me first, okay? Yes, yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> See? Yes, sir. <laughs> I do love that, though. She pulls out a chair. And as she's sitting down, Kincaid goes to stand up. Oh, and they're just being assholes which, yeah, at this yeah. point, which is hilarious. Which is funny. And, and she even says it. it doesn't count as chivalrous courtesy if you're only doing it to be a wise ass. Yeah. And they keep, it's fantastic. They keep doing it. She kicks Harry in the shins. And I like that. Murphy says, all right, what do we know? Harry says that I'm starving. Wait a second. I held off any business until we'd ordered breakfast and the waitress bought it out to the reserve section. Once that was done and we were eating, we closed the screen again. He says he wants to go over some basic information and uh, get the basic plan. And Murphy says, find them. Kill them, Kincaid said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I thought we might flesh it out, flesh out that second one a little more. No need to. In my experience, it's pretty much impossible to kill it if you don't know where it is. Do you know where it is yet? And there's a conversation about, about Kincaid where he says he's on a schedule and that if we don't find him, he's going to go out of town and just not stick to this contract. Right. Or not stick to this plan. Yeah. And Murphy gets on him and says, what kind of attitude is, what kind of attitude is that? A professional one. I have a midnight flight to my next contract. <laughs> it's just a great back and forth. So I'm going to, I've read a lot of this chapter, but it's just so good. Uh, mostly because Kincaid is great. Let me get this straight. Yeah. You just walk away because these murdering creatures didn't fit into your schedule? Yes. It doesn't bother you that innocent people might die because of them? Not much. How can you just say that? Because it's the truth. Innocent people die all the time. They're better at it than your average murdering monster. I love that line. Because innocent people are better at dying than your average monster. They, they truly are. It's not a He's shot. so straightforward with it. You know, and Murphy says she doesn't want to work with him. And Harry says, Murph, the world's a cruel place. Kincaid didn't make it that way. <laughs> She's like, he doesn't care. 
How are you know how are you going to go if somebody doesn't care when things go to hell? He agreed to fight and go. I agreed to pay him. He's a professional. He'll fight. You know, we learned that we're going to get a driver. We get a little bit about black, you know, black court lore. You know, they're Jackie Chan fast. So the plan's to hit him in daylight when they're asleep. Some of the old ones, I guess, don't need to sleep during the day, like Mavra, so she could be functional, which is a problem. You know, Harry says she's a sorceress at least. Again, giving us some idea of power levels, right? Where even though if you're not a full wizard, you can have power and scary power. Yeah. We find out that Mavra might actually be a wizard with, you know, full spectrum of powers. Murphy says, you're afraid of her. Kincaid says, damn right. Which I love. He's not afraid to say when he's afraid of something, which is, again, tells you, I I feel like that adds to your power level, right? When like, you're okay being honest about it. Like, yeah, this is a fucking scary beast. And she's scary to me, but I'm going to go fight it because I'm getting paid to do it. Yeah. Um, I I just think that tells us a little bit more about Kincaid as this whole scene does, obviously. Yeah. Um, we're going to go Stoker standard garlic crosses, holy water, the works. And this is where Murphy asks about the pocket full of sunshine. And he says he can't. Yes. There we go. That's right. But what that makes me think is that, um, this relationship development with Thomas might make him a stronger wizard. Why is that? Because the happiness allows him to do other things, do stronger things. Okay. Yeah. Quite possibly. Kincaid coughs significantly and nods at the bill. Harry fumbles <laughs> through his pockets and gets enough money to, you know, to uh, pay the bill. There wasn't enough for a tip. If there's not enough money for a tip, there's not enough money to go out. I think the tipping system in the U.S. is stupid, but it's the one we got. If you can't tip, you can't go out. Don't be a douchebag. I digress. <laughs> Kincaid studies him with a distant, calculating gaze that would have made some people very nervous. Like people who had agreed to pay a lot of money but didn't have any. <laughs> oh, gosh. We have you know, a good discussion about the ways and means of vigilante justice where you know, she's, she's trying to adjust. In her head, she knows what she thinks what we're doing is is the only thing right. But she's been a peace officer since before she could drink. And this kind of cowboy thing feels wrong. It isn't what a good cop does. No, what a good cop does is handcuff a suspect and punch him in the face afterwards. Even though there's zero evidence that they're guilty of anything. Apparently. I've heard that. I read that somewhere in a book. (laughs) depends on the cop I think I said Mavra and her scourge are above the law Murph in every sense that matters the only way they're going to get stopped is if someone steps up and takes him down I know that here in her head but she doesn't feel it in her heart she's not worried about fighting the vampires but the people around them the, the standard goons and that does make sense Reasonable. It certainly could be a problem for her as a, as a cop, but also, you know, as a person, right? I mean, even when you kill a bad guy, you're still killing a person. 
Um, exactly. Could certainly cause some trauma. Um, and he tells her why he can't do the sunshine thing. Basically, you need to be genuinely happy. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And she says, oh. And doesn't press. Which is probably the right thing that Harry needs in that scenario. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah. And she's headed to Wolf Lake Park. <laughs> it's the first reference to that place we've had since uh, Full Moon, where the werewolf goes to hide in Wolf Lake Park. But she's going, she's going to the reunion, but she has her pager. <laughs> he says, sorry, I didn't drag you into some horrifying, morally questionable, bloodthirsty carnage in time. <laughs> she says, T-minus two hours and counting down. And that rings a bell and shakes some dust off in his brain. He says, countdown, son of a bitch. So he has her, he has her go get. Why is her car and her bike in the same parking lot? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I know. I noticed that. And I was like, oh. she goes to get the reports out of her car just because he wanted to make the vibrator joke. That's it. That's the whole reason. Or she doesn't have parking at her place. Could be that. Fair. And so she Fair enough. Here. Also, Chekhov's, motor, Chekhov's motorcycle. Ch- um, <laughs> right. Because it is Chicago. Chicago. So. But um, she goes and gets the police reports. And he says he should have guessed this sooner. That they're doing the Malocchio on a timer. She says it's automated. No, it's on a schedule. Both women were killed in the morning, a little bit before 10 o'clock. And she says, 9.47 and 9.48. They died at the same time. So he says, excuse me. She says, not the same time. They are. I bet you anything. The recorded time gets written down by officers on the scene. Who would worry about a minute either way? And the two curses that have struck in Chicago arrived at 11.47 in the morning and damned close to that last night. Because of the time zones... 13 minutes before noon or midnight, hell's bells. I'm not going to ask you what you, ask you to explain every time you pause, Harry, because you know damn well I don't have a clue what you're saying or what it means. <laughs> I, did, I, I do like it. that line. Um, it says that it means the killer isn't doing the curse on his own. There's no reason to have it on a timer like that if you, ha- if you didn't have, have to do it that way. They're using ritual magic. They've got a sponsor. You don't mean a corporation. No, I don't. What time is it? <laughs> 10.30. Yes. If I haul ass, there's time. Time huh. to protect Genosa and his people. That entropy curse is coming down on them in about an hour. I stomped on the gas and shouted out the window over my shoulder. This time, I'll be ready for it. All right. Good stuff. Certainly, like I I promised, some big revelations. And uh, we met a new bad guy. So what did you think of Lord Wraith? That exchange with his family as they arrived at the Chateau? Anything? I still have very strong feelings about the mafioso kind of energy. And, you know, and then with the kiss of death and all of that, it's very, very, it's very, very godfathery kind of thing. Yeah, that definitely seems Um, to be what he's shooting his shtick. Yeah. Um, but also, um, 
regarding the dog because I, I brought that up in that chapter when the dog was barking at and growling at Lara. And then the dog was growling at Inari when she was in the room. Yeah. Well, he seems. So the dog obviously has some special senses. Which we gathered from the. I mean, he's a temple dog. Whatever yeah, that, whatever that means. And then remember, he was the first one to alert us to the black to one ear. He was two ear back then. Yeah. Um, but the black court yeah. vampire, right. when he tried to jump Harry and Thomas way back in, you know, chapter five or whatever. Um, so he definitely, you're right. The dog definitely does have some sort of supernatural alarm system. And, and oh, be- definitely, which makes sense that he's the temple. Guy. Yeah. But also how friendly he and Inari were for so long. Uh-huh. And then he got fussy. And remember when Thomas was putting the whammy on Justine at Arturo's way back, the puppy was growling. Did not like that. But exactly. after, but didn't initially have issue with Thomas. Correct. And then after the soul gaze is running around all happy and prancy. Right. Yeah. So it's not just bad guys. It's when there's Sorry. some level of imminent danger or imminent bad, bad guy mm-hmm. activity happening that the dog gets fussy so you clearly but i wonder too with the thomas thing Mm -hmm. thomas is part wizard so it might be that you know because the dog obviously he loves harry um whether harry likes it or not to be frank and i just wonder if that's there's some i'll be josh Thanks, Joshi. Um, that kind of there might be something there as well, because when Lara was helping him out of the car, she wasn't doing anything bad guy. She was just helping him out of the car, but the dog still growled at her. That's fair, and maybe Lara just always exudes bad guy energy, which is kind of how I how I hey. I visualize her. Maybe she was trying the whammy on. Harry, but she wasn't able to because of his love protection. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. You, know, you mentioned that Thomas was part wizard. We don't really know how it works in universe at this point. Well, by blood, and, he is genetic. Well, I mean, that is part, obviously, you know, that his Harry's mother was a wizard and Harry's a wizard. Mm-hmm. So we clearly have that evidence. Um Especially because his father wasn't, correct. correct? His father was just a magician. They're called illusions, Michael. But yes, his father was a, was a stage magician. But we don't know how much of the wizard bug Thomas inherited. If at all yet, right? Completely reasonable, um, yeah. But he certainly has that potential somewhere inside, I guess. Whether or not it's... I don't want to say potential as in it's like potential is the wrong word. There's, there's a possibility that he has that potential. How's that? That phrasing is probably more uh, germane. Um, uh, any parting thoughts on Justine and that scene with, um, Lara and Harry driving her to her doom, well, driving Thomas to Justine's doom. Hmm. You got nothing on that. You don't have any thoughts or anything. I mean, again, we talk about it as we go. So this isn't. Yeah, we talked. Yeah. That, I mean, we is, mentioned is there that anything as, you as didn't bring up? 
No, no, just that it was that that was they knew, and and Harry brought that up that they knew, but she also was in. She was okay in. with it, yeah. But that Harry, that Lord Wraith and Lara chose no. the victim. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I don't know about Lara, but with, with Lord Wraith, he's punishing Thomas. Oh, constantly. And that's just another punishment. That was at least kind of how I saw that. But yeah, no, not really much else. Fair enough. I I do like and I've I've been I was kind of poo pooing the connection between Susan and Inari, but I did like the connection between Susan and Justine. And yeah. this was the least woe is me version of Harry bringing up yeah. Susan that we've ever seen. Right? I mean, in a lot of ways, it affected him, <laughs> and that's which again, it's first person, right? So that's natural. Yeah. That that's kind of the angle we get on it. But this was about, this was a more nuanced way of looking at it. It didn't take Susan's agency away like he has sometimes Mm -hmm. in the past when he's thought about the, you know, her infection, for lack of a better term. It gave her the agency and allowed her to, you know, make her own choices here. But it also was true that if they hadn't been dating, she wouldn't have been in that, that situation. Right. And it was, again, it was like we talked about last week. You kind of know it when you see it, but this just seemed like a much more subtle, empowering way to describe. And I could be totally off base, but that's just kind of how I felt when he was describing. No, it it was. Yeah, it was much. The way it was described here was much better than it has. Okay. Yeah. Just, and again, I don't really know why necessarily, but it just seemed like it, it was. Because he, I think it's because. He compared himself to Thomas and saw that he was at fault. Where Justine knew what she was getting into and he warned Susan. So it's kind of like that kind of combination, I think maybe gave him a little bit uh, of. Okay. I don't know. Perspective maybe is a good word. Yeah, I think that's the exact word. Stuff with the Nari, not great. Definitely some good lore about Twu Love protecting you mm-hmm. um, from White Court. I don't know. Anything? I do love the idea that Susan is still protecting him, even though he couldn't protect her. Oh, I like that. Didn't think about that. That's a good phrasing, too. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, it's and it's... Also, probably, so his whole MO is protecting the, those that are weaker. Often he phrases it as women, but he does protect those that are weaker. And now he's being protected uh-huh. by someone no, who that's, is that's inherently, great. who was weaker, but may actually now be stronger than him. Kind of a, yeah, no, that's awesome. Interesting. Good insight about Susan here. I tell you what. I do. I do. I love that though. I love that that his true love, like an actual factual true love, real love, protects him. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, we said all we really needed to about the reveal, the reveal yeah. of the mother, but that is just so big, right? I mean, that's really what this book, the most important thing in this novel is probably that reveal, right? Um, and I don't even... I would say so, so far. Yeah, certainly least. so far, but I, it's going to be pretty tough to top. Spo- spoiler I alert. I don't know is. if that is spoiler <laughs> even, just because it's such a huge thing, right? I, it is, no, and it's a life-changing, life-altering Um Again, and, and the fact, the way that it reframes his entire existence. Yeah, exactly. He just reframes all, like past novels. Like that's what I really like, right? Um, yeah. And that's that's how what a good reveal should do, right? It should make you re- rethink some yeah. of the past stuff. It doesn't like completely change things or anything like that, but I just it reframes a little bit some of the stuff that we've seen, which is. Just kind of it also shines a different light on the things we've seen, not just reframing it, but it really gives us a different you see things in a different light, and it like even with the way Harry's talking about that when he was talking about a, a child waking up on Christmas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I really I like yeah, that. no for sure, but yeah. The soul gaze was great. We talked, I mean, we talked at length about that, but it just is really good stuff. Um, I, every time we learn a little bit about his mother, it leaves you begging for more. Yeah. And that's true decades later. (laughs) I mean, like I just really want to know more and more and every little piece of information that dribbles out is great. But We've spoken about this on many, many times. Mm-hmm. The way Butcher presents characters, the way Butcher gives us information, he does it so oh, well. Yeah. I mean, I've mentioned this a couple times about the world building and things like that, but just giving us vital information where it didn't feel like it was lacking. It wasn't like, oh, there's a black hole here. Oh, there's a black hole here. But then he gives it to you and you're like, holy shit, there was a black hole there. <laughs> Which I really like. I really, really like. It's just the way the story is framed is so fantastic. I mean, the more I read this, the more I, I love the way he builds a story. The way he gives us the characters and how, like I mentioned, when Lara was talking to her father and when look up from the ground yeah really good subtle stuff and when we met her in arturo's office i think it was the office Uh we met her in where she was a she was a proud force she stood tall she was on these tall heels she didn't waver and just that juxtaposition is really astounding Mm -hmm. and it's i mean it's it's really obviously important to these story elements but i just i really really do like it a lot and I love learning more and more about things going, the goings on in Harry Chicago and everybody that's being interacting. And I loved, I loved the aha moment because we all have moments like that, you know, with the, oh, it's a countdown. Where's the, holy shit. Oh my God. That little trigger word when you're trying to figure something out. I mean, I think it's wonderful. I really, I really, truly do love the way that this is written. 
And I also, somebody emailed us um, about, um, Jonathan emailed us. He's a- Dragon Fat. Yeah. Friend of the program, Dragon Fat. About how he was he was worried that I wasn't going to like this one. But I but we've talked about this that um the way that Butcher has approached the sex industry in this particular novel has been very positive. Where it's I don't know about the, very the, the, positive. Well, more positive than in it's, uh, it, it's he, been okay know, in the time sir. period. But he he does it through the lens of Harry's embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Rather than Harry think he's thinking he's better than them. Even that comment about Bobby in what chapter was that? Twenty one, maybe. Let me see if I can find it. Where he talks about Bobby's insecurities, and where they were talking about love and uh, how he was protected because of the love of of where is this? Sorry, it's really annoying. I can't find it. Anyway, and he talks about Bobby's insecurities. Oh, yeah. And things like that. Where it's, it, I mean, that kind of perspective on the um, on the, the sex film performers, where he, they're real people. Yeah, no, for And sure. in every aspect of this, they're all real people. They're not just caricatures. And in some of that, when, you know, even when Harry's like, no, I've never actually thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the moments where he could very easily have made it a lot more um, icky, frankly. And he didn't. So I, I truly think he did He did a good job about about dealing with it. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, we'll see how it progresses. I do have some... So insight. Yeah, no, no, I, again, and I there were a couple of moments where like I, we disagreed how well it was done. Mm-hmm. The conversation with Emma outside the after Giselle got hurt, you know, the first, I didn't love that, but yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely see as it goes, but that was definitely no, a, a, a but good no, point. But, but and to, I, I liked, to, I liked those thoughts. But to touch back to, to, um, to Jonathan, to, to dragon fed, it does. It's not, um, it's not something that, that bothers me. Yeah. And it's, it's sex. Isn't problematic. It's how you, you know, you could, and it, even how, yeah, how portrayed. you portray it could be, could be so definitely intriguing stuff here uh we appreciate you jonathan yes always always good insights um when you reach out so thanks a lot man i mean on that note let's hop over and uh talk yikes yikes okay i briefly touched on this and it was it uh (laughs) schrodinger's motorcycle uh where it's just such it, that was an annoying cliche. The comment about the motorcycle was just an annoying cliche mm-hmm. and it was unnecessary. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Just completely unnecessary. Like what? Yeah. What are we doing here? Like, so she's saying I've sometimes I forget how much I like riding the bike. Like it's a freedom sort of thing. If this were a dude, it'd be a freedom sort of thing. Just the wind in my hair and the open road. Exactly. But with her, it's, oh, like a big, it's like a big vibrator. But I do like how she calls him out. She says, do you really enjoy dropping all women together in the same demographic? Don't you? That exact phrasing I knew you would appreciate. Yes. But I love how you're bent, Dresden. (laughs) Like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, but that was, that was, 
a definite yikes moment. Yeah, no, for sure. That and my hips hate you. But my hips hate you is just so weird and out of place. It just that wasn't it. <laughs> Let's just say that was not it. No, no. It's again an, an unnecessary line, but that stands out though. Yeah, no, for sure. Do 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 stuff with Anari a little bit, but definitely the Ra- Papa Wraith and the way he overcomes all his daughter's hunger. It's it's not yikesy in the sense that it's not dealt with with the proper amount of ick. I think it's dealt with fine. Mm-hmm. It's more just worth referencing just how atrocious that is. <laughs> but him murdering his sons and raping his daughters to establish control and power is just yeah atrocious. It's just, but it's making a bad guy worse. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like I said that this isn't yikes in the sense that they're not dealing with it properly. It's more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to bring it up just. And that's really we as we we discussed what? since book one, right? You, having character flaws is okay when they're punished, when they're discussed as negatives. It's a flaw, but when it's a flaw that just isn't ever shown to be, have negative consequences to others or yourself, it's not really a character flaw. It's just a character. It's a characterization, right? Understanding the difference yes. there is super important. Here, it very much is a flaw. In Lord Ray, played that way. It's explained that way. I just felt like I couldn't go through this section without mentioning it. Yeah, no, no, no. 100%. But what it also does is he is irredeemable. Did I say that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Irredeemable. Sorry, I don't always always say the words right. Um, Yeah. Um, Because, so, I I learn a lot of words by reading them. I don't always pronounce them right because in my head I say them different because I don't understand. No, you're all good. That one's perfect. But anyway, he's, it, it, it makes him irredeemable. That's just 110%. You cannot come back from that. Yeah. So we know that this is the bad of the bad of the bad of the bad of the bad. And he will always be the bad of the bad of the bad. Exactly. Exactly. We're not, we're not going to feel bad if he gets his comeuppance. <laughs> no, no, we won't. And we're hoping for it. He's the guy we can all, we can all agree to hate. 100%. But, but that's kind of an, sort of an appreciated thing where, there's all these other characters where they're like, well, but you know, they do. And it's like, no, this guy is just a, a, a monster who, who craves power. And- yeah, exactly. And, and that is. And it also makes you wonder what Harry's mom knew about it all. Ooh. Yeah. No, I, I read an interesting theory on, uh, I want to say the subreddit, but some, some Dresden site um, that I'll bring up if I recall later on, but it, about too spoilery at this point in the novel, but towards the end of the novel, it was an interesting kind of reframing. Okay. her choices on her way out. But cross that bridge when we come to it. I, anything else? Any other lore or questions or characters or yikes or anything until we, before we get into quotes? Awesome. Well, then let's uh, hear what you got for quotes of the week, Liz. Um, most of these we've gone over, but my I, it made me giggle in the moment just because of the way it's like, love killed the dinosaurs, love killed man. The dinosaurs like, man. It made me giggle. <laughs> And then he goes into this whole, like, can't you just imagine, like, one of your, like, stoner friends just sitting there and be like, dude, love killed the dinosaurs, man. <laughs> just, like, going through that whole story. 100%. Right? That's just one of those things. But it was just, I, that entertained me. Uh, that and Bob telling him, and you will be glad to know that every exotic dancer in Chicago is alive and well, safeguarded by your friendly neighborhood air spirit. Just because Bob. It's so Bob. I love Bob. I like that Bob's Bob's growing on you. 
Oh, he totally is. He totally is. Um, there are moments where I'm like, I would throw that skull across. I like when he had the hammer out. He's like, you look pretty tense. Like, don't worry. Wait, is that this one? That's next one. No, this is this. It's this. Uh, what do you say? Yeah. yeah. Don't don't worry. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll feel better. Here. I'll feel better in a minute. Like, uh huh. Yeah. But yes, well, of course, boss. Um. So I notice you're holding that hammer, and your knuckles are turning kind of white there, and that you certainly look sort of tense. And ha ha ha. That's funny, Harry. And then my last one, we already went over, but Kincaid, I said, no felonies without checking with me first, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just enjoyed that. But, it, you know, it's just a lot of really, this, di- this didn't have as many fun quips. Because there was, this, we had serious Harry because someone he cared about was in harm's way. Yeah. And could die. Definitely. Um, let's see. I had, please believe me when I say the deception is what we do, wizard. My father does not like you. I suspect he wishes to kill you. I get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, just because it's clever. In the Wraith household, paranoia comes bottled on tap and in hot and cold running neuroses. <laughs> That's fantastic. There you go. Good stuff. All that we got left then, Ice, is to get us a crackpot theory this week and Kincaid showed up. We must have one. Obviously. I mean, Kincaid and Mr. showed up, but we didn't get a lot of interaction from Mr. We certainly didn't get enough Mr., that's for sure. No, we never get enough Mr. I could have a whole book about Mr. Um, But no, so with the whole, the description of the Restaurant, the IHOP. Mm-hmm. I use that term weekly. But I was thinking that um, it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday morning. Why IHOP is crazy on a Saturday morning. So it, Kincaid has some some mojo, some sort of supernatural wooey shit going on. And he's everybody's favorite mercenary. Like, I mean, come on. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> and he's totally got some superpowers. It was definitely strange. Like I said, it, it, they clearly pointed out that uh-huh. something happened there. Well, and that Harry and Murphy were both like kind of looking around like, huh, the fuck's up with this? All right. Very good stuff. Uh, I think that'll about do it and get you off on your road to live in the high life today which is exciting. Definitely appreciate you guys. We're going to read six chapters again this next week, which brings us to what? Chapters 24 to 29? Math? That's what I have down. All right. Math. Um, Which uh, ends on a good cliffhanger, which you know I love. Yes, you do. Yeah, guys, keep them coming. We love the uh, conversations. We love the notes. We love the corrections. We do love corrections. I like getting, I like getting better. So anything you, anything yeah. you got, you shoot them our way. We are trying to... We screw something up. Let us we're know. We're trying to get uh, a little more active on the sociables as we go here. Some days better than others. Nobody's perfect. Yeah. But we do appreciate you guys coming through. We appreciate you downloading. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you spreading the word. We're still... Uh, 
slowly but surely this thing is growing and progressing and we could not be more grateful. I at least couldn't, couldn't be more grateful. Lissy's a jerk. Maybe she's not grateful, <laughs> but, uh, it's a lot of fun seeing our, seeing our, our little pod. That exactly. Grows. Our little, our little pod that could, um, it's L Y S S Y is how you spell Lissy or the standard <laughs> spelling of Alyssa, but a couple people have been wondering there. So there you go. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, uh, uh-huh, I that love one, it. And Isa was one of the one of the nieces or nephews couldn't say Alyssa because hard to say Alyssa, and so that was Isa. And Aaron decided the spelling of that one is A I. Oh, really? There's no Y. I think I put a Y in it. I'll have to figure that out. <laughs> These are important things. And Josh, Joshy is J O S H I E. Although Brenna, our oldest sister, spells it with a Y. So there, there's some contention <laughs> there as well. Um, but. Beyond that, I uh, just really appreciate you guys and could not be more grateful. So let us know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or stock tips. I'm always in the market for uh, turning my $5 into $6. And yeah, keep on keeping on. These, again, yeah. the subscribers, we try to get the uh, pod out a day early for the subs. And sometimes I even switch it over to the public feed when I'm supposed to on Sunday morning. And thank you guys for your patience with all that. Beyond that, I guess we get out of here. Any last words, Ice? No, thanks for listening, guys. And we really do love the interactions. It's a lot of fun for us. Awesome. And and Only Murders in the Building starts Tuesday, well, five days before this pod comes out. But I'm excited for season three. If you haven't watched that, it is really good. Uh (laughs) And and they're making a podcast, which is hilarious, because this would be really great on the podcast. Josh and I may or may not have said that. (laughs) So, excellent. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, we'll see you next week. I've been Josh. And I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't fault. fell out of my uh i was like oh you went away did your microphone die (laughs) no my chair fell off my treadmill treadmill desk um i'm sitting on a chair on a treadmill (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty magical